0: lord's house and i now i want to appreciate and just tell you thank you for everybody that got up here i know this is kind of calling us out of our comfort zone but it's good to be out of the box sometimes and it's good to be caught off guard i'm telling you i don't mind preaching to a million people but i'm terrified to sing to one person so this was way outside the box for me uh and i was thinking When she called on you, Claire, I was thinking, I hope she gets her daddy to come up here. And that's exactly what she did. But that's why we're here together. And I'm so thankful for you stepping up and letting the Lord use you. Man, what a great day in the Lord's house it's been tonight. Uh, We are on a series of sermons on the promise of Israel. And in that promise involved three things, the place, the people, and the presence Uh, We've been talking about the place. Uh, Last week we looked at the geography of the place of Israel. And we looked at the prophecy. We looked at the things and how God put Jerusalem in the nation of Israel in the dead center of the map. uh, And he prophesied that it would be in the midst of all nations. Uh, He also prophesied that uh, millions upon millions of people would come into that city to pray unto him. And we looked... At some of those things uh, Miss Francis pointed out when she left last Sunday night, and I've heard this before, uh, something interesting about the city of Jerusalem. When in the Bible, when people went to Jerusalem, they went up to Jerusalem. They never went down to Jerusalem. And when they left Jerusalem, they always went down into other cities. Very interesting about the city of God there and the holy place uh, that God desired. And this is a special place. And so many times when people think of the promise, they only think about the people, but there's as much promise on the place as there is the people. There's as much prophecy in the Bible on the place and the property of Israel as it is on the people. Now, we talked about Abraham, and we talked about how the place and the promise was given to him and Isaac and Jacob to go down and be passed down through the seed there of Jacob. And Israel dwelled in that land until the days of Joseph. If, if you remember, there was a famine in the land. And I had talked to Miss Frances about this this week, and we were discussing this. But I believe it's the only time there was a true famine in the land of Israel. Now, there were other times that the Scripture said, if you remember, Naomi thought there was a famine in the land. But once she got back, she realized there wasn't a real famine in the land. But during the time of Joseph... There was a famine in the land, and the nation of Israel journeyed over to Egypt. They spent 430 years in Egypt, 430 years in bondage. If you remember, God prophesied to Abraham that that would happen. And He prophesied that, and they got over in Egypt. And I believe at the end of the day that God got them over there to prove to them of His saving grace. Because for them, for God to bring them out of bondage, they had to go into bondage. And this is a sinful people. And God is trying to show them that He is their Savior and He is their Redeemer. And I believe they went into Egypt. God, everything God has done is perfect. Amen. God doesn't mess up. He doesn't make mistakes. He allowed them to go over there. And now He desires to bring them out 430 years in bondage. In Exodus chapter 3, one day the Lord came to Moses and it said there in verse 8, And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Look over in verse 17. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt and to the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hibites and Jebusites and to a land flowing with milk and honey. Now I want you to go to Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33 and verse 1. And to get started, I want you to turn with me, but we are going to look at the screen at some of the verses to help us get through this. Exodus 33, in verse 1, And the Lord said unto Moses, Depart, and go up hence thou and the people which thou hast brought up out of the land of Egypt, and to the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, saying, Under thy seed will I give it. Remember, we just read, that he promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. Now he's going back once they're in the wilderness, and he's reminding that that place and that a uh, piece of property was part of the promise that he made all those years ago. Notice what he said in verse 2 And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, the Hittite, the Perizzite, the Hivite, and the Jebusite unto a land flowing with milk and honey. For I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a stiff necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. So God reminds them of this place. Here they are, 430 years in bondage. He said, hey, you have a piece of property that belongs to you. On this piece of property is a land flowing with milk and honey. Right here, God promises them that this will be a place flowing with milk and honey. And he said that this is a promise that was involved in the promise that he gave to uh Abraham. Now I want you to look in Numbers 13. Numbers 13. Now I don't think I have a slide on that, but look in Numbers 13. And I just want to see some of this. In Numbers 13. And God told them about this place. 430 years they've been out of Israel. None of these people have ever seen the promised land. And so they sent these spies into this place of promise. And they heard that this land was flowing with milk and honey, look in Numbers chapter 13, and look in verse 17. And Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan, and said unto them, Get you up this way southward, and go up into the mountain, and see the land, what it is, and the people that dwelleth therein, whether they be strong or weak, few or many. And what the land is that they dwell in, and whether it be good or bad, and what cities they be that they dwell in, whether in tents or in strongholds. And what the land is, whether it be fat or lean, whether there be wood therein or not, and be ye of good courage, and bring of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the time of the first ripe right grapes. Now look down in verse 26. Verse 26. And they went and came unto Moses, and to Aaron, and to all the congregation of the children of Israel, unto the wilderness of Paran, Akadesh, and brought back word unto them, unto the congregation, "...and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him and said, We came unto the land where thou sentest, and surely it floweth with milk and honey." And this is the fruit of it. They stepped out and they went to this land merely solely based upon the promise of God. God said that this was a land flowing with milk and honey." They sent in the spies and they spied out the land and it is confirmed that God was right. Who would have thought it? Amen? Who would have thought that God would have been right? But God was right. They stepped out on faith and God provided for them. He promised them a land flowing with milk and honey. A land of milk and honey simply means a land of unusual fertility and abundance. The blessing of heaven, the promised land. The land flowing with milk and honey is a land that is referred to a place that it has bountiful blessings upon that land. There's plenty of food, there's plenty of water, there's everything that a people could have so that they can be nourished by their Lord in that place. And the nation of Israel, that piece of property, became a place, became a land of milk and honey. God promised them that this place will feed you and fill you and nourish you. The spies went out and guess what? God was right. It was a place flowing with milk and honey. Now what is so unusual about this is because the land of Israel blooms and nourishes the people of Israel, but the climate of Israel is a Mediterranean climate. The climate does not fit this description right here. In fact, the climate there... Is the Mediterranean climate. And the land experiences long, hot, rainless summers and relatively short, cool, rainless summers, or rainless, excuse me, uh, winters. This piece of property lies in the middle of a hot, arid, and desert-like land. In spite of being in the middle of the desert, God puts His hand on this piece of property and turns it into the most fertile land and all of the world. The only way to explain the fertility of this land is God. That God put His hand upon this piece of property, and God blessed them. That's the only explanation to the fertility of the land of Israel. If you will look at it today, everybody around Israel, Lebanon, Syria, Jordan, Egypt, they're in deserts. You don't go out and plant orchards in deserts. You don't go out and plant all of these things that they have planted today and get a crop like they do today in the middle of a desert. None of their neighbors experience what they experience because of the hand of God. The hand of God is upon the piece of property of Israel. Do you want to know why it is a land flowing with milk and honey? Because God has put His sovereign hand upon that piece of property. God said, I'm going to take the nastiest piece of property and show to people how good and how great I really am. And when you look at the fertility of the land, you can see the greatness of God. In Deuteronomy 28, I believe that's the next slide. Deuteronomy 28, And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and bring you to naught. And ye shall be plucked off from the land, whether thou goest to possess it. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there shall serve other gods, which neither thou nor thy fathers have known, even wood and stone. You can go to Leviticus, the next slide there. That Scripture tells us that God is going to scatter them upon the face of the earth. That Scripture has already been fulfilled. For 2,000 years almost, they were scattered upon the face of the earth. They lost that piece of property. Do you know why they lost that piece of property? Because of disobedience. They disobeyed God, so they lost that piece of land. And He said, I'm going to take you from that land which He took them, basically, in 500-something B.C. is when the carrying away of Babylon took place. Israel began to scatter right then. But there were many people that came back, and then in 70 A.D. was the complete exile, and the ruin of the temple, and the ruin of Jerusalem. And so from 70 A.D. until 1948, they were scattered upon the face of the earth, and the nation of Israel was not a nation. That Scripture we just read prophesied that Way before it ever happened. Isn't God good? Leviticus 26. And I will now he talks about what's going to happen to the land when they leave it. A fertile land, okay? And I will bring the land into desolation. And your enemies which dwell therein shall be astonished at it. And I will scatter you among the heathen and will draw out a sword after you. And your land shall be desolate in your city's ways. Then shall the land enjoy her Sabbath as long as it lieth desolate. And ye be in your enemy's land... Even then shall the land rest and enjoy her Sabbath. As long as it lieth desolate, it shall rest, because it did not rest in your Sabbath when you dwelt upon it. And so God said, when you leave this land, this land is going to become desolate again. This is what God's saying. This land will not bloom for anybody but you. The only nation that this piece of property will bloom for is the nation of Israel. And in 1948, when Israel came back and they became a nation, this was a desolate place. It was a mess when they got there. Miss uh, Miss Francis began to tell me she remembered the day. She remembered the news. She remembered the excitement. And she began to tell me about the desolation of that place. And the nation of Israel wanted that so bad, and they got it because God promised it to them. That's how they regained the land was the hand of God. And the reason that it's blooming again is the hand of God. Is the hand of God. And notice that it will not bloom for anybody but Israel. That's God. That's God. Deuteronomy 30. Deuteronomy 30. And it shall come to pass when all these things are come upon thee and blessings of the curse which I have set before thee, and thou shalt call them to mind among all the nations, whether the Lord thy God hath driven thee, and shall return unto the Lord thy God, listen, shall obey his voice according to all that I command thee this day, thou and thy children all with all thine heart, with all thy soul. Then that then the Lord thy God will turn thy captivity, and have compassion upon thee, and will return and gather thee from all nations, where the Lord thy God hath scattered thee. If any of thine be driven out into the uttermost outmost parts of heaven, from thence will the Lord God gather thee, and, and from thence will he fetch thee. And the Lord thy God will bring thee into the land which thy fathers possessed, and thou shalt possess it, and he will do thee good, and multiply thee above thy fathers. That scripture was fulfilled in 1948. They were scattered upon the face of the earth, and he promised them thousands of years ago that he would bring them again back to the land. 1948, they came back to the land of Israel. Now I want to look at the, the, the promise of the place. Look in Amos 9 there, the next slide. So they come back in 1948 to a desolate land. They have nothing there, and they're having to start from scratch. It says in Amos nine thirteen fifteen. 15, Remember, during the, the stay of their enemies on this land, it's a desolate place. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, And the trader of grapes, him that soweth seed. And the mountains shall drop sweet wine. And all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel. And they shall build the waste city. They will come back from captivity. I'll put them back on this land. They shall build the waste cities. He prophesied that they would come back to a wasteland and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof. They shall also make gardens, and eat the fruit of them. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall be. They shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. And so God promised them that He would bring them back, and He would bless the land once they got there. And I want you to notice this last part. And no more be pulled out, of their land no matter what the Muslims or Islam tries to do Israel's not going anywhere because God has planted them back there and once he planted them back there he has now put his hand back upon the piece of property of Israel now notice Isaiah the last scripture here he said I will open rivers in high places and fountains in the midst of the valleys I will make a wilderness a pool of water and the dry land springs of water I will plant in the wilderness the cedar, the shudder tree, and the myrtle, the oil tree. I will set in the desert the fir tree, and the pine, and the box tree together. He's basically saying, I'm going to plant things there that's not supposed to go there. And they're going to flourish because my hand is going to be upon it. That they may see, and know, and consider, and understand together that the hand of the Lord hath done this, and the Holy One of Israel hath created it. God said that I'm going to do this so that when people look, they will say that only God could do what has been done. He said, I'm going to put my hand back upon this piece of property and I'm going to bless it and it's going to bloom so that you may see and know and consider and understand that the Lord God put His hand upon this piece of property. Why is it as green and fertile as it is today? Because of the Lord. We've got a few pictures here. This is some of the fruit. You can just go through this. That's some of the land of Israel. Some of these pictures I took. Some I didn't. Fruit trees. May I remind you they're in the desert. May I remind you this is planted in rocks. Go see this unbelievable next picture. See how green and luscious and beautiful this is is absolutely unbelievable and what's unbelievable again this planted. you can leave it right there it's planted uh in rocks it's planted in a desert place the agriculture y'all just sit back and get a blessing of this and we're going to be done the agriculture of israel today is highly developed in industry israel is a major exporter of fresh produce and a world leader in agricultural technologies Despite the fact that the geography of Israel is not naturally conducive to agriculture, this came from an encyclopedia, okay? More than half of the land uh, land area is desert, and the climate and the lack of water resources do not favor farming. Only 20% of the land is naturally arable, which means ab- naturally able to farm. While farm workers made up only 3.7% of the workforce Israel produced 95 percent of its own food requirements, supplementing this with imports of grain, oil seeds, some meat, coffee, cocoa, and sugar. This is the greatest percentage in the world. They produce 95 percent of its own food requirements. May I tell you when tribulation time and all of these days get here, they're going to have to, okay? So all of this getting to the place that they can take care of themselves and that they're self-sustaining is a fulfillment of the prophecy of God, okay? And 95% of their own food requirement comes from within their land. While farm workers made up only 3.7% of the workforce, Israel produced 95% of its food requirement supplementing this with imports of grain oil oilseed. I read that. 68 years they've been a country and already providing 95% of its requirements. 68 years of a con- in this country, and they're already producing that much. That's the hand of God. The area of irrigated farmland when they got there in 1948 was 74,000 acres. Today it's 460,000 acres today that they plant. Israeli agriculture production rose 26% between 1999 and 2009. While the number of farmers dropped from 23,500 to 17,000, farmers have also grown more with less water, using 12% less water to grow 26% more produce. That's God. Farmers get a hold of that. 12% 12% less water to grow 26% more produce. They have 40, more than 40 types of fruits grown in the nation of Israel. They are the leader in fruits and vegetables. And there's a whole list here. And just of all of these fruits and all these vegetables, by average, they yield. They average in the highest yields among anybody in the world. Their trees yield more than any trees in the world. Their plants yield more fruit and more produce than any plant in the world. This is not a coincidence. This is the hand of God. May I remind you that God said, I will put my hand upon them so that you will see, so that you will understand that only God has blessed them. Friend, the blessing of God is upon this people. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. I went and the date produce and the honey produce and all is, is at the world's highest numbers. But one of the most interesting things is all the cows in Israel individually produce the highest amounts of milk per animal in the world. There's no other cow in the world that produces the amount of milk that those cows in Israel produce. That's my king, okay? That's my God. Isn't that unbelievable? And they beat us by like 20% when it comes to dairy and and how much a a cow gives. And when you see all of these things, you you can't give credit to man. They've only been there 68 years. You can't give credit to technology. You've got to give credit to God. And God said He will do it, and guess what? God did it. And God is doing it every day. And if God can fulfill every promise that He gave Israel, what makes you think He can't fulfill every promise He made you? He said that Israel will be scattered, that they'll be regathered, and I will bless the land. He was right. He also said there's a place called hell, and there's a place called heaven. Guess what, friend? He's right. If He was right about this, He's right about heaven, and He's right about hell. And if God said you can't go unless you have a personal relationship with Jesus, you better take Him at His Word tonight. He's been right about everything else. And if He fulfilled that promise on that place, He gave me a promise of a place. And if He fulfilled it with Israel, He's going to fulfill it with me. Let's stand this evening. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. If you have a decision to make tonight, if you need to be saved, you need to come to the altar If you need to make a public decision, I want you to come at this time. If you need to be saved, please come. Let me show you how to be saved. During this invitation, what page? Page 403.